there'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, a movie. Yeah, we're gonna be a movie. Starring everybody and me. There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that ends for us real happily. And we are going to start right here. Hello, Happy New Year. This is the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network premier podcast triple feature. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And on the marquee tonight are three car, uh, three films tangentially related to cars. Um, the, f- <laughs> the first is a uh, body horror film from 2021 of uh, from the French and Belgian uh, of the French and Belgian variety, direct written and directed by Julia Ducournau, uh pronounced Titane. I'm just going to apologize in advance for massacring the French and the Belgian uh, languages and anyone that gets in my path. After that, again, tangentially related to Cars, is the Breaking Bad uh, sequel and epilogue that went straight to Netflix from 2019, El Camino. And finally, the John Carpenter-directed Stephen King-written horror movie about a car that comes to life and starts killing people, Christine. And joining me is a man who loves his cars, Sean Comer. How do you do, sir? Do not listen to this man. I am not a car guy by any stretch of the definition. (laughs) I, 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 find, I, I find them kind of fascinating. But. <laughs> that's, that's not true. I remember listening back to the um, to the Fast and the Furious podcast that you did with Robert. And you guys talked for like an hour just on random car stuff. Oh, I mean, a little bit, but I really hesitate to call myself uh, a car guy. Oh, I am that guy. Guys I, I could I, Go ahead. I, I I am that guy that when I that when I take my um, over ten year old Ford Explorer to the shop, I feel the need to apologize in advance to the mechanic for <laughs> for probably not having idea about about some everyday routine thing that I guess I'm supposed to know how to know to do or to fix or to keep an eye on. Well, I decided you're my car guy tonight. The reason why I wanted to do this oh, was... Oh, poor, poor thing. <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll take some as I get some. Uh, I wanted to talk Titan. I've been really getting into mm. wanting to... Like, when we first started doing the movie reviews, it was whatever the big budget blockbuster summer stuff was. And then mm. summer turned into all year round. And then we just started doing this more often. And now it's like, we'll just talk about whatever. So I'm like, well, okay, if I'm going to just talk about whatever, I want to talk about some of these weird indie films that come out Mm-hmm. That make that among film circles get some notice, but uh, and and then they end up. It's like my, the, you're branching out, you're broadening your horizon. Well, I've always liked Good this stuff. You. I just never talked about it because there weren't. I didn't have mm-hmm. people interested in doing those kinds of things. But one of the things, and and there's actually Alexis who sort of hit me to this, is that Oscar season rolls around, and there's all these movies that get you know nominated for stuff, and people are like, I've never even heard of half of these. So, mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, you know what? I'm going to make a vested interest yeah. in f- trying to get ahead of some of that stuff. And believe it or not, Titan um, was actually chosen. Um, it was the French entry for best international film feature for this upcoming Oscars. And and Sean, believe it or not, this thing has won like a bunch of different awards. It won oh, uh, 
the yeah. Palme d'Or at the Cannes. It won um, the, the People's Choice Award for Midnight Madness at the Toronto International Film Festival. It won something. Uh, it was a top five foreign language film for the National Board of Review. And then um, it was a Best Supporting Actor here for the Los Angeles Film Critics Association. And then it was nominated for a bunch of other ones. So I... I <laughs> Plus, when I and I can't remember which podcast we were talking about this, but I think it was Robert who mentioned, like, oh yeah, there's this movie where a girl gets impregnated by a car. And I went, Really? <laughs> and immediately I was like, I have to see search this see, film out. Funny story about that. Mm -hmm. Um I was watching this while I was working. In fact, I watched the entire triple feature during the workday mm -hmm. because I mean, one of the advantages of working from home is when you got a podcast to do, okay, cool. I'm getting, I'm now getting paid $13 an hour to sit and do data entry and also to watch movies <laughs> on my phone. Um, and I was really frankly working on something toward the end of the day. And yeah, I got to that part with the car. And <laughs> as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, I missed something here. <laughs> I looked away at just the wrong time. Right. And she corralled somebody into the car and they're having a go. And I just never saw the guy. I, I just never saw who's in there. Who's weirdly, you know, sh you know, not in the shot at all. Somehow <laughs> I missed something because there's no way she's getting <laughs> fucked by the car. Yeah, didn't know what this was when I pitched it to you. Didn't know what this was when I pitched it. And then we got to the end of the movie. <laughs> and I just kind of sat there and went, huh, no, <laughs> that was exactly what it looked like. All right, I I I immediately need to ask you something, but right. let's let's do this. Yeah, let's have an order in the court here. So, um, all right. So, on trial, fuck order. Uh, there must be order, or there'll be chaos, and then I'll have to live in the woods deliberately. Um, Energy, right. baby. <laughs> so this came out over uh, the course of July in Europe. It debuted at Cannes July thirteenth. It debuted in France July fourteenth. Oh, those French, and then in mm. Belgium, where the waffles are from. July 28th. And then it, it made it over here to the U.S. I think sometime in October. Um, well, what's, the, like what, what, what's, the, what's the joke about what's the joke about Belgium um, from In Bruges? They're only famous for two things. Child blasters uh, and chocolate. And they only vend the chocolate to get to the kids. <laughs> yes. I actually just watched that with Evan Bevins uh, right before Christmas. So All right. So, okay. so here's the plot. Mm. A little girl named Alexia annoys her father during a drive. A little more than annoy him, but as she removes her seatbelt, her father turns around to scold her, causing a car crash. Ale Never take your eyes off the road. Alexia suffers a skull injury and has a titanium plate fitted into her head. When she gets out of the hospital, she shuns her parents and embraces their car passionately. Years later, Alexia, now an adult with a large scar on her head, works as a showgirl at a motor show. One night after a show, a male fan follows Alexia into the showroom's parking lot, declares his love for her like you do, and forcibly kisses her. She then brutally murders him, because, you know, turnabout is fair play, using her large metal hairpin. As she returns to the shower, Alexia hears a banging coming from the showroom. And speaking of banging, she finds the car she modeled with earlier 
has turned on by itself. And of course, she gets in it naked that and has sex <laughs> and has sex with the car, ladies and gentlemen. There is no other man, mammal, fish, or fowl no. in the car with her. No. It's just her in the car. And the car does its job. She climaxes. I'm glad the plot. I'm glad the plot synopsis made sure to tell us that. It is revealed. That car's a giver. <laughs> That's a considerate lover. Yes. Um, <laughs> you got to take some where you can find them, baby. It is revealed that Alexi is a serial killer from out of freaking nowhere who has murdered several men and women in the past few months. She still lives with her parents, like you do, who seem unaware of her connection with the crimes and with whom she has a distant relationship. Eventually, Alexa realizes she has become pregnant after, and this is what I needed to ask you, but let's get through it. After motor oil, Sean, motor oil begins secreting from her vagina. She tries to perform an abortion with a hairpin, but fails. Alexia attends a house party where she has sex with her co-worker, Justine. Alexia suddenly murders Justine and proceeds to kill the other guests, except for a woman who manages to escape. Alexia returns home and sets her own house on fire before locking her parents in their bedroom. Now wanted for murder, Alexia alters her appearance to pretend to be Adrian Legrand, a young boy who has disappeared 10 years before at age 7. By cutting her hair, taping down her breasts and increasingly pregnant belly, and breaking her own nose. She then goes to the police pretending to be Adrian, where his, where his father Vincent accepts Alexia as his missing son and refuses to do a DNA test. Vincent, a fire captain, takes Alexia to the station where he lives and works and introduces her, introduces her to his men. The firefighters are puzzled by the mute, androgynous, and apparently traumatized Adrian. But they refrain from questioning the captain's behavior. Yeah, because he, as shown in the film, he'll beat the snot out of them if they, if they do question it. Alexia becomes an apprentice at the station under Vincent's supervision. As Vincent gives more responsibility to his quote-unquote son over the experienced firefighters, one firefighter confronts Vincent about Adrian's identity. However, Vincent immediately shuts him down and tells him never to speak of his son. Vincent tries to preserve preserve his strength by injecting steroids into his aging body, but he finds that he seems to be building an immunity to them. Alexi is increasingly disturbed by his possessiveness and considers escaping from the fire station. However, after Vincent experiences a cardiac arrhythmia from injecting a large dose of steroid, Alexi decides to stay with him. Vincent's long-estranged ex-wife comes to see her quote-unquote son and ends up discovering a now, a now heavily pregnant Alexia with her body taped down. Nevertheless, she keeps the secret for herself, not wishing to interfere with her ex-husband's delusions. Yes, leave people in their delusions alone, goddammit, and begs Alexia to take care of him. Vincent at one point acknowledges his delusion, telling Alexia, well, whoever you are, you're my son. When he inadvertently uncovers her breast, he is clearly shocked but continues caring for her. At a party at the fire station, the firefighters urge Adrian to dance to the music. Yeah, like they're like moshing to techno. It's really funny. Alexia breaks out her showgirl choreography, leaving everyone confused like you would be. Vincent, uh, let's, just a, let, let's be let's be clear to a techno rendition of poor wayfaring strange. <laughs> yup. Vincent, disappointed, walks out of the crowd. After the party, Alexia has sex with a fire truck. Glad we got we circled back to that. <laughs> Alexia's body gradually breaks down as the skin of her stomach tears to reveal new metal plates. As her pregnancy finally comes to term, Alexia reveals her name to Vincent, briefly attempting to seduce him, and then begging for his help. Vincent helps Alexia give birth, the titanium sides of her skull splitting open on her final push, killing her. Vincent, in tears, holds the baby whose body appears with patches of titanium and tells her repeatedly, I'm here. Okay. When she started secreting motor oil, 
did it not occur to you then that she had had sex with the car and that's what this was? Or did you like just not notice it? I think I was kind of still in denial. <laughs> okay. I, I, I think I was still trying to go, no, no, I, I have to be seeing that wrong. <laughs> that's that, just that, dark that, blood. That, that, that had, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it has to be really weirdly lit blood. <laughs> or something or something because mm. there's no way I sat there and watched her get by a car. <laughs> there's no way I watched that. Yep, that's what this is. What's, what what I what? Am amazingly somehow that is the only that is one of the only plot points established in this movie that actually runs all the way through and seems to actually bear any lasting significance. Not a single fucking thing else fucking matters. <laughs> what what's crazy about that? What's, what's crazy about this movie to me is that this movie is sort of a think piece on the loss of a child and the trauma it causes, the delusions that may mm -hmm. occur. What pe what a person who has to bury their own child you know or a child that goes missing in, in this case has to do and you know to cope with the, 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 that mental strain and they chose to deal with it by first having a woman have sex with a car and <laughs> and then try to hide her, her her gender because she's a serial killer this was one of those like it this felt like one of those improv exercises where someone starts a story and then you go next, and then the then another person continues the story, mm -hmm. and it can be whatever they want it to be. And so the so yeah, the first person yeah. is like, and so it is one big yes and yeah yeah. So I was like, and so she has sex with a car, and then she's a, then she's sort of you know a substitute for the child that this man lost. Wait, what? <laughs> what? How did he no, get no, married? If, 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 if we're going back far enough, it's okay. Oh, yeah, she so pissed off her dad. She pissed off her dad while, dri while driving, mm -hmm. big car accident. She has to have a titanium plate in her head. Yes, right. and now <laughs> she is literally horny for anything on four, on four wheels. Yes, and she gets her rocks off thanks to a car that yoinks her into the back into the back seat and rapes her. Yes, and she gets pregnant. Yes, and she secretly she's secretly an impulsive serial killer. Yeah, that's the part that, that I skipped. That has some fucking how never fucked up badly enough to get to get caught. Yes, and to continue to disguise herself, she decides that she is going to beat the piss out of herself in a bathroom and so that she can masquerade as this man's long lost estranged son. Yes, and so weird. He's going to He's going to turn he's going to turn out to be a steroid addict who's totally into it. Even after he learns the horrifying, horrifying, horrifying truth, I, it's yeah. hard for me to hate this movie. Was I here? Here, let me say this: I'm. I, I discovered can't hate anything this stupid. <laughs> yeah, I can't hate anything this wacky. Like, no. I, I, um, I, I have, I, I have to love something that is this out of the box and weird, especially with the kind of dreck I'm normally reviewing. Speaking of which, hi, Robert on Twitter, on Twitch. Um, but 
I'm not going to say I loved every minute of this film and was like riveted to, you know, to my seat while I was watching it. First, I've, I've learned something about myself with this affair. I am not a body horror guy. Like when we talked about Candyman, like there were some, there were some parts where the tension got to me, but I was into it before the, I was into it because of the political commentary. I was into it. Um, yeah. yeah, I like, I, I have found that I can at least tolerate and even sometimes like the slasher genre. Um, this being a body horror thing that is also kind of like a psychological, not a thriller, there's no thrills here, but sort of a psychological think piece and, you know, and it speaks to trauma. Um, some of that I like, but the body horror stuff, like, just as an example, uh, I, I was okay with this. When her stomach splits and you can see the titanium plate, I, I, I had to revert my eyes, you know, fine, big pansy, who cares? Um, we'll never get in a gambit movie either. Um, sorry, that's that, that's for someone else's benefit. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I can't stand to, to look at some of that stuff. And I had to avert my eyes a couple of times. The secreting of the motor oil didn't bother me as much. Uh, and then the, then the pregnancy, I just kind of skimmed through that. I was like, yeah, I don't need to see her burst into bits as she gives birth to this child. Um, but a, as a concept, as an elevator pitch, I was like, Okay, I, I think my only like real criticism, like real craft criticism of this movie is it's such a big like conceit. It, it's such a big conceit that she has sex with this car and then it's like promptly forgot. Like the, the issue is the pregnancy and the fact that she's trying to hide her identity. So there's some great tension there, but she could have just been pregnant and trying to hide her identity as a serial killer. And everything else about this film didn't have to change. All those things, like, none of that was dependent on her banging a car. And so, like, why have the banging the car? It's like, I want to talk about blah, blah, blah. Okay, but that's boring and nobody will see that. By the way, have you seen no? Have you seen Spider-Man No Way Home? All right, well, how do I get this thing made then? How do, I, how do we do this movie that I want to do? But <laughs> how do I do this movie that I want to do? But get people to go see it. I don't know. Have her have, a, have, her have a sex with a car. What you see, <laughs> I, I I do love good body horror, mm. but I italicize, bold, and underline good okay body horror. Can you give body me like a ten word example of good body horror? Um, anything by Dave, anything by David Cronenberg. The fly is you is usually is usually aces. Okay, um, so the fly. Clive Barker does it exceptionally well. You already mentioned you already mentioned can't mentioned Candyman. I would certainly mm-hmm. throw Hellraiser in okay. Hellraiser in there as well. Right. Um I don't know, would reanimator be body horror? I've never seen it. But the, okay, so well, anyway, I'm, I'm, anyway, I'm with you. Yeah. Um I, I I enjoy it, but I enjoy it when okay, Alien. There are mm-hmm. certainly elements of Alien sure. that touch up that touch on body. Any of the chest bursting scenes. Yes, but okay, but Alien is one of the best examples I can think of because there you have a movie where the design and a lot of the plot elements were very much set out to have you know, sexual assault and violation undertones right. that were explicitly crafted to make male viewers mm-hmm. especially uncomfortable. Right. To make them uncomfortable most of 
most of all on a whole other level than what a woman might experience. Right. But that's an example of body horror with some thought behind mm -hmm. it with a per with a purpose, something cerebral, something you're either trying to comment on or something you're trying to invoke. And I'm also all for the notion that a spoonful of absinthe helps the medicine go down. Mm -hmm. Turkey 22 says the razor scene from cabin fever. Okay. Another good one. Um, saw another good, yet another good okay. example of body, of body horror for the most to, part. To your point. But, yeah. I don't see how her bang in the car lended itself to anything in this movie. Yeah. And, and what I was getting to is, you know, I, again, like I said, a, a spoonful of absinthe will, mm -hmm. will sometimes help, help the message go down. Um, anime is often really great about that. The Japanese mm -hmm. will take something that's, that's very, that's very heartfelt and, and well thought and well thought out something they deeply want to convey mm -hmm. and they'll package it in a thoroughly weird, sometimes taboo package. Mm -hmm. And yet by the end of it, you have to acknowledge, huh, it worked. Mm-hmm. And th that actually left me with something that's going to stick with me. There's not a goddamn thing about this movie that's going to stick with me, except that it was weird as fuck. There's nothing that I if, if they were trying to make some kind of some kind of half-assed trans commentary, or like mm -hmm. you said about about the, the grieving of a child, mm -hmm. it's so it's so muddied that yeah. you have to fight entirely too hard with yourself to really grasp the takeaway. And yeah, I'm looking for that. Like I'm watching this film, like what is this film trying to tell me? And if you're not doing like film analysis or craft mm -hmm. review, and you're just mm -hmm. casually watching this new thing that that's on there that you heard, maybe you heard people talking about like, Oh, you heard about this movie where the chick bangs the car and gets pregnant. I'll watch that. You're not then like, I doubt most people are, are are taking time to really think about what is this movie trying to say. They're just like, why did the banging of the car happen in the first twenty minutes, and then doesn't really affect anything going forward? It's not. Yeah, it's like she like to your point before, and I was thinking about this as you were talking. Mm -hmm. If she the, the the her her behavior seems to be driven by the accident in the first minute of the film, it's not like the banging of the car. And like we're going to talk about Christine at the end of the show. But, you know, Christine has an effect on the plot. You know, Christine affects the driver. The driver does stuff because of Christine. If Christine had never entered his life, he'd be, he would have been fine. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like that in Titan. So it's actually funny that I link these two together, just completely by coincidence. Um, but, you know, there's nothing about her and that car scene, which this whole movie is sort of sold on and revolves around. Because it's not like this was marketed about anything other than girl and, and having sex with the car. There's nothing about this movie that yeah. anyone else knew. And it's, and it's and like, seems like it's tacked on, which is a weird way to structure your movie. I, do you want to take a swing at bat as to why this thing won any kind of awards or why people are like, like this could have just been weird and we leave it at that. This thing was like running away with awards. People are talking about it. This thing's going to show up at the Oscars, and I can't for the life of me. And sometimes, and like, like I can certainly appreciate a nice navel gazing movie and see why people are into it and the critics are raving about it. I haven't the faintest clue what people saw in this that they were like, throw the awards at it, throw mo throw money at this person. It's 
And look, I'm sure there are going to be people who are better read film scholars than I who mm. probably disagree with this profoundly. But just speaking as someone who just kind of may not always know art, but always knows what he likes, sure. I I lump it into this category of of indie where uh, of indie cinema that is weird for the sake of weird masquerading as avant-garde trying to make a point and what the kind of movies where sometimes if if someone is actually honest enough and forthright enough to flat out say i saw this movie i didn't get what the fuck the point was some other some other douche nozzle in fake glasses and a fedora is probably going to pipe up and lament that they're just not smart enough for that yeah for that movie I it, was, it, was too, it, it was too intellectually highbrow for I'm actually 100 no. in agreement with you about that i after i said it and i started to listen to you talk i was like yeah that's probably it it's like they're sitting well, there and it's just like you see the same stuff uh, shoved out year after year after year and then something is so so out of the box you're like it wins and there's no yeah. more thought given to it yeah. than that well okay let's let's give a more mainstream example since mm -hmm. Anne and i just watched them both recently before watching before watching the fourth movie compare the matrix to the matrix reloaded mm -hmm. the matrix has some very personal and intellectual and philosophical undertones right they're presented in a straightforward way, in a mm -hmm. remarkably straightforward way that makes them surprisingly digestible. All right. Now, go look at the architect scene from Reloaded <laughs> and just how kind of up its own ass it feels boy am i alone on the hill for lying that liking that scene and i'm okay with it this is not a, a, a we do no, not have to have a conversation you, about it but, you but get, you're like but you the, the third the or fourth person in the past week since resurrections came out that's cited the architect as headache inducing and then there's me going i liked it so no but but that's him but the again, Merovingian. But again that's, but again, that's the point it, oh yeah. god don't even get me started on that. <laughs> um it, it it's the brilliance of mm -hmm. taking something that's that's intricate and has layers yeah and enabling an audience of any level mm -hmm. of education and literacy to understand it perfectly plainly and yeah. barely feel like they missed anything yep all right versus an entire fucking scene that you that watching it across the screen in your mind, you can almost imagine like the Pikey subtitles from Snatch <laughs> during that one scene where Brad Pitt is just going off on going off off on a complete screen, and instead of subtitles that are actual words, it's just a half dozen question marks. <laughs> I vaguely remember that. Yep. All right. Um, yeah. if, I, I think we ask, ask Alexis about it. It's one of her favorite. It's one of I her will. favorite DVDs. She'll I, know exactly why. I think we're in agreement that we've squeezed all the juice we're going to squeeze out of this, and let, let's let's move on if you don't mind. 
Um, and before we do, I want to remind everybody that for you listeners of Triple Feature, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar punctuation and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. So download Grammarly today. Go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, it's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. All right. So just like a quick two-minute table setting. Did you watch Breaking Bad when it was on? I watched every single brilliant episode. Did you watch from the beginning or did you, or were you like me, got hip to the jive after everybody was on that train? Um, you know what? I did watch it from the beginning, but I, I watched from the beginning starting, I think, shortly before the final the final season like a few months before it and i got so hooked for hooked on it that i just burned through the previous the previous four seasons just absolutely torched through them and i've i like to tell people i've only ever watched two shows Mm -hmm. that in my estimation never to my knowledge in my opinion made a bad episode so i don't know and breaking bad so I'm going to tell you a secret that no, that nobody knows about me. It's this is breaking news here on uh, on the Rattling Broadcasting Network. I'm a big what fan of the Wi. I'm a big fan of the Wire. And, <laughs> and I know, and I was convinced that the only <laughs> deal. <laughs> please, please pick your job off the floor. Um, I was convinced because I was a snooty. I, I've never really been like a snooty movie guy. You know, I like it all. Um, I'm willing to sort of pick through the garbage. I'm also willing to eat the finest fruit and everything in between. Where I think I was a snob was television. Um, nothing on network television was good. That was uh, that was my religious belief. Um, the See, only two shows I will I will I will one up you with a revelation. Mm-hmm. I have meant to watch The Wire for ages, and <laughs> I have never, never gotten around to it. Mm-hmm. But but I am now an HBO Max subscriber, and I do intend to remedy that. Good. Um, some, sometime later in the year, um, Jesse and I, I, I haven't talked much about it, but, uh, Jesse and I are going through every single one of the, um, oh, David Simon shows that he's done starting with homicide and going all the way through, uh, bring me a, uh, show me a hero. So at some point we're going to get to the wire as well. Um, uh, one, one a month starting in April. Anyway, love to the, help with that. the, uh, the point that I was going with this was. I was convinced that there wasn't a decent show out there besides The Wire and The Shield. Nothing could be as good as those two shows. Maybe Oz. And everyone was like, but have you heard about Breaking Bad? And I was like, no. White people and their suburbs and the desert and meth and who cares? I'm not. I don't want to deal with that. I need grit. I need drama. And they're like, you idiot. (laughs) You you are missing out. And And after hearing it from people whose opinions I trusted, I was like, all right, I'll give this a chance. And the first couple of episodes of Breaking Bad uh, were not, not they weren't great. I think they were well-written television. I just, they didn't grab me. I think when he blows up the office and walks out all Hollywood-like is when I got hooked. And then I became as rabid a fan as everybody else because I did my binge right before the very last season. So, like, you know, everybody was like, oh, you know, the the brother-in-law has figured out who... Mr. Sinister is, I can't remember what his, Mr. Whatever, whatever Walter White's code name was. Um, Eisenberg. He's, Eisenberg, yeah. 
Um, he's figured out who he is, you know, when he's on the toilet. And so everyone was like, you know, it was like that where's, you know, Frodo lives moment. It was like, oh my God, what's going to happen? <laughs> you know, what's going what's gonna to be, what's the next Lord of the Rings book going to be? Um, you know, or the end of, you just brought it up, uh, Matrix Reloaded, where it's like, oh my God, the, you know, the, um, the, the betrayer is on the <laughs> ship with Neo. What's going to happen? That sort of thing. It was like, everybody was in that same sort of mental spot with Breaking Bad. And I just got there right as the new season was starting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out like, and I, and I, like we ended up doing a, um, I, I haven't re-aired it, but we ended up on YouTube doing a series finale, like react um <laughs> before those became popular uh that that's how much i like the show like i couldn't wait to talk about this with you it was all we were talking about weirdly enough when they did el camino i didn't watch it when i re- and like as, as much as that's the whole point of Me this either. is it's like it was there it was on netflix it was on my it was on my watch list for the longest time and i just never got around to watching el camino and so when i was like i want to talk about titan what other car movies could I talk about? Christine, obviously. Somebody mentioned Herbie the Love Bug. <laughs> and I was like, how about no? <laughs> and then I was like, I don't know what El Camino's about, but there's a car in the title. That's what we're going to talk about. So um, what uh, what did you expect from El Camino? Like, you'd heard about it, I'm sure. People talked about it. Yeah. Uh, what it you know, I, you've been busy. but So that's why you didn't watch it. But what, what were you thinking it yeah. was going to be? Well, I mean, I wasn't necessarily opposed to it. I think I was mm-hmm. indifferent because I just okay. loved the finale of Breaking Bad that much mm-hmm. that for some damn reason I kind of didn't need to know what happened to Jesse. I was I'm one of those people that I'm content sometimes with just letting my imagination run wild. Yeah. Like that away. That was what uh, was important. Yeah, with with a character with the character's loose ends mm-hmm. at the end of the story. Um, so it, it's not like it's not like I was shunning it on general mm-hmm. principle or anything. I loved every single second of Breaking Bad. I just never got around to it. I knew it was focused on Jesse. I knew it was supposed to be his story, mm-hmm. but that was about it. So I I came in pretty much a blank slate of expectations. All right. Um, oh, this came out October 11th of 2019. It was directed by Vince Gilligan. Um, and it serves as a, a sequel and an epilogue to the Breaking Bad series finale. Here we go. Here's <clears> what happens. And a flashback to shortly before they leave Walter White's meth business, Jesse Pinkman asked Mike, uh, Ermin Trot, uh, where he would go to start over. Mike says if he were younger, he would go to Alaska, an idea, an idea Jesse finds appealing. Jesse expresses the desire to make amends for past wrongdoing, but Mike cautions that starting over would make that impossible. In the present, Jesse flees the Brotherhood compound in Todd Alquist's El Camino. He goes to Albuquerque, home of Skinny Pete and Badger, who hide the car and give Jesse a place to sleep. The next morning, Jesse calls Old Joe to dispose of the El Camino, but Joe leaves after discovering it's Lojack. Pete devises a plan to make it appear Jesse fled after trading the El Camino for Pete's Ford Thunderbird. Pete and Badger give Jesse the money Walter gave them, and Badger drives south in the Thunderbird, so it appears Jesse headed to Mexico. Pete stays with the El Camino and waits for the police to respond to the Lojack. Jesse departs in Badger's Pontiac Fiaro. He learns from the radio news of Walter's potentially fatal poisoning of a woman and of Walter's death. In a flashback to Jesse's captivity, 
Todd takes Jesse to Todd's apartment to help dispose of his cleaning lady, whom he killed in the most nonchalant way after she discovered his hidden money. They sidestep Lou Shanazer, Shanzer, Todd's busybody neighbor, and bury the corpse in the painted desert. Jeffrey briefly holds Todd's gun, but Todd talks him out of shooting. In the present, Jesse sneaks into Todd's apartment and searches for Todd's new hiding place. Moments after Jesse finds it, policemen Neil Candy and Casey enter and begin searching. Jesse hides but holds Casey at gunpoint after Casey finds him. Neil disarms Jesse, who realizes they are not police, but thugs also looking for Todd's money. To save himself, Jesse reveals he found the cash. Lou reports finding an old note from Todd, and Casey distracts him by feigning interest. Neil and Jesse bargain, and Neil agrees to let Jesse take a third of the money. As they depart, Jesse recognizes Neil as the welder who built the tether that held him while he was forced to cook meth for the Brotherhood. Uh, Jesse finds Ed Galbraith, the disappearer, who wants 125000 to aid Jesse, plus another 125 for the previous occasion when Jesse hired him but failed to commit. Jesse is 1800 short, and Ed refuses to help. Knowing that they are surveyed, surveilled, Jesse uh, calls his parents and feigns willingness to surrender. After his parents and the police depart, Jesse sneaks into the Pinkman home and takes two pistols from his father's safe, a Colt Woodsman and an Ivor Johnson Hammerless. Jesse drives to Neil's shop, where Neil, Casey, and, and three friends celebrate with escorts and cocaine like you do. After the escorts leave, he asks for 1800 and Neil refuses. Seeing the Woodsman in Jesse's lifespan, uh, Neil challenges Jesse to a duel for his share of the cash. Jesse agrees, and when Neil reaches for his gun, Jesse shoots him with the Hammerless that was concealed in his jacket pocket. JC, uh, Casey fires at Jesse, but Jesse kills him with Neil's gun. Jesse collects the driver's licenses of the remaining men and lets them leave after threatening to return and kill them if they tell the police. He recovers Neil's cash and departs after setting an explosion to cover his tracks. In a flashback, Walter and Jesse have breakfast after a multi-day meth cook, estimating they will make more than a million dollars. Walter laments having waited his entire life to do something special and calls Jesse lucky since he will not have to wait. In the present, Ed drops Jesse off at a parked car near Haynes, Alaska. Jesse gives Ed a letter to Brock Cantillo and acknowledges he does not want to say goodbye to anyone else. Driving off, Jesse has a flashback to his time with Jane Margolis. He tells her he admires what she said about going wherever the universe takes her, but she dismisses his metaphorical and encourages him to make his own decisions. Jesse drives on, smiling at the prospect of a new life. All right. So let me just say right off the top, this felt like episodes of the show they could have just cut out. I... <laughs> Other than if you're just like a huge yeah. Breaking Bad fan, I don't see what this added to the story. This, 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 you know how like in a book series or whatever they'll, you know, the, like my wife's read, my wife read the the Fifty Shades trilogy, and then there was like another book from the dude's perspective. Because why? Because people are buying yeah, these books and they'll buy they'll buy just about anything. And I think mm. that was there was the same thing with um, or attempted to be the same thing with Twilight. Where after uh, Stephanie, what's her face? Uh, yes. She was yes. going to release one from Edward's perspective, but then it leaked online and she gave up. This feels mm. like one of those where it's like a further adventure of Breaking <clears throat> Bad. And it's like, I, wow, this adds nothing. What do you think? I disagree. Okay. Uh, I disagree because I don't think, I don't think something has to be necessary in order for it to be worthwhile okay. um, to, to give you a really a really askew out of left field sort of a sort of example the vampire chronicles mm -hmm. i'm not real steeped in them 
But the other day, I watched about an hour 15 long YouTube video that took all 15 novels in the series proper and ranked them. What was said about a lot of them is, especially the ones kind of, it went from best to worst, and the ones that were in the middle toward the end of the video, a lot of the sentiment was, it's good, but not necessary. Mm-hmm. You don't absolutely have to absolutely have to read it. But of course, the idea, the idea being you should really have read most of the series before you get to this one so you can appreciate everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. For me, that's a good comparison to this. Because no, it's not necessary. I could still watch all five seasons of Breaking Bad and not feel like this filled anything in that I was really pining for by the time the credits rolled on on the last episode, by the time we were panning out from Walter White's dead body. Mm -hmm. I still loved it. I adored it because, yes, it's fan servicey as fuck. Having all having all of these incidental characters from throughout the series show up for what amounts to a series of interludes as Jesse tries to finally make good his clean slate. Yeah. You know, one of my thoughts was, huh, this actually would have worked fine as a limited comic run. Okay. Yeah, you you could you could have made this work made this work that way, but did I also enjoy seeing his interactions with all of them all, along the way, particularly all the time that he spent with Todd? Hell yes, I did. Oh, the Todd. To be clear, I didn't say it was bad, and I'm not saying you no, thought I said that. No. But in case anyone's misunderstanding, I like the movie. It was well done, and the best part yeah. of this movie is sort of the the weird tension between Jesse and Todd as Todd mm-hmm. is Todd knows he has, he, he's holding all the cards. He's, he's, he's kidnapped this man and forced him into slavery on one hand. <laughs> and then on the other hand, he just wants a friend. He just wants to be buddies. You know, I mean that whole bit about give me the gun. Let's go get yeah. pizza. I was Todd like, is it Todd is endearingly compassionate. Yeah, Todd, Todd's like I, you know, I just need you to make meth mm-hmm. for free, <laughs> like and, and never. Yeah, leave. if we could just get past that, maybe yeah. we can be pals. And it's yeah, like, it's such a I, weird thing, and that's and, and that's why I enjoyed, it, and that's why I would still mm-hmm. recommend watching it. I just wouldn't press the urgency of this is a must watch if you want the full Breaking Bad experience, because I mean I'm a little biased because Aaron Paul was always one of my favorite parts of Breaking Bad in the first mm-hmm. place. Um, I thought that he really brought a lot, a ton of heart and sincere emotional investment to the series, to the series that otherwise is, is obviously for, for obvious reasons, just focused squarely on Walter White's descent into, into semi-delusional megalomania. Yeah. And here you've got his accomplice the entire way. Every time he's starting to make some honest to goodness 
headway in laying a new track for his for his life for going a different route. Mm-hmm. Walter be all like fuck your couch. <laughs> they should have never given you crackers money <laughs> or meth or meth money. Um, but the, the funny thing is an opinion that I've had for a long, for a long time that I've, that I've occasionally kind of explained is I feel like Firefly really sullied an entire fucking era of television, mm-hmm. or should I say television fandom? Because you have a one season series that on the one hand, it gets viewed through rose colored glasses. It doesn't always, always deserve on the other. It had potential and Fox bungled it because Fox mm-hmm. or rather because Fox and sci-fi. So along comes some really pioneering fan outcry. Firefly gets Firefly gets a movie in order to write a, a proper fair to write a proper farewell to mm-hmm. get the series finale that it wasn't allowed to have the first to have the first time around. Okay, that was fine. Herein lies the problem. That shit then became what fans expected every time a series ended and this is why i was initially a little bit skeptical about this one and why i maybe was or rather i should say indifferent mm-hmm. not skeptical and it wasn't every fucking time a series ended Boy, what is, the, what is the phrase in community what is it six seasons in a movie oh god <laughs> and i love community sure but every every time a series ended movie 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 yeah. we get movie movie dude movie. And, and not and not to beat this it's, dead horse but people have been asking for a wire movie. The oh. wire doesn't need a movie. Please stop. No, we uh, it got worse. Lost ended. Movie, 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 movie. R R R R. No, it's like the it's like the fucking seagulls. My, 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 my. Twenty four ended. Movie, 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 movie. Buffy the Vampire Slayer Slayer ended. Movie. Sex in the City. For some reason, they got the fucking movie, and that goddamn didn't help any fucking thing. Can I make a prediction um, based on this what? rant that you're doing? That Wu Tang and American Saga is going to end next season, and then there's going to be a movie where they form Voltron. Go on. <laughs> friends and friends ended. Movie, movie, movie. Yeah, friends, sure. movie, 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 movie. Hey, they, Sex in the City got two movies. I, I state facts, sir. Fucking didn't it? Fucking Sarah Jessica Parker not fucking helping shit. <laughs> but that's the thing, is it came to this notion that shit just wasn't allowed to just end. And yeah. Even if the ending was imperfect, you didn't just get to end. No, yeah. there had to be a demand for a goddamn movie. And I was skeptical because, like I said, to me, the ending of Breaking Bad was just about perfect. It's just about as close to perfect as any series finale since about the early 90s has been. Mm -hmm. 
and you want to go and you want to tack something else on. So yeah, I was like, I'm not saying I doubt you, but have fun with have fun with that. I'm just going to steer. Here's my problem with this. Here's my here's my problem with El Camino, and this is really the last thing I want to say in it because I was mm-hmm. on the I was entertained. It actually made me want to go watch uh, Better Call Saul, which I've never watched before. Um, and everyone tells me it's great, and I should watch it. And it's like, well, who has time? I, I'm, too, I'm too busy I doing this stuff. It out yet um, but but it, it but it it served that purpose of you know it, it gave me member berries. It was like, remember when you used to watch Breaking Bad and how fun that was? Don't you want to return to that world? I'm like, I do. So in that sense, it served its function. And as you know, and if you're a Breaking Bad fan, um, you know, as a nice um, epilogue to the story, it was mm-hmm. it, it's a fun watch. As a yeah. standalone movie, and this is my this is my criticism of it. As it doesn't really work as a standalone movie. You, I don't think you get a good sense when you watch the show. You obviously got a good sense of what Jesse went through, and here mm-hmm. you're you're sort of seeing the result of all that. You're seeing the PTSD from it. Um, you know, you're seeing his condition after the fact for sure. But eventually, the kind of the ship kind of writes itself, and then it's about it. it and then it's a sort of, sort of a crime story. You know, it's. I got to get away. I need money. You know, there's these hurdles in my way. I got to get money. And then he gets away. Mm-hmm. And this thing was, how long was this? This thing was, um, this is actually a bigger problem I have with Netflix films in particular. This was over two hours. And mm-hmm. this didn't need to be two hours. This was a 90, this was a 90 minute at best movie that got stretched way too long. And it's there wasn't long. enough in it to justify, yeah. to justify its length. And so it's like, it, you know, you used the term fan service before, and that's the thing. It, mm-hmm. it does feel like it feels like fan service, the movie. And I'm like, I, I need a little bit more from that if we're going to go this route. You know, I oh, would God. like like chop this up into a couple of, you know, chop this up into a couple of episodes and make <laughs> it a mini series like they did with um, like 90210 and some other ones where it was like, let's just do a yeah. let's do, you know, Good these Mar- these Marvel shows on, on Disney Plus are basically six hour movies. Give me uh, a little bit of uh, that, you know. Give me a give me a six hour show, and then you know to see like what happened with Jesse and the you know and and the adventures he went on after he escaped, escaped the compound, and I can kind of accept it as your standalone movie. I, I and that this might be me just clinging to a structure. Things have to make sense to me, and this this one doesn't. So that's that's the last word. I'll let you give your final thought, and then we'll move on. I recommend it. It's it's a nice little it's a nice little coda. I don't mm-hmm. think you'll regret spending your spending your two hours on it. But again, it's uh, to me it's a product of, of that same sort of just won't fucking let go nostalgia mm-hmm. uh, and denial that is the reason why we got a fucking Sopranos prequel movie <laughs> and. Uh, it only fucking, caused people to watch The Sopranos. It had nothing to do with the movie. And a fucking Deadwood prequel, mm-hmm. which how the fuck was that necessary? So all Deadwood. day long. So all day long, um, I have been you know half the day I have been playing Rage Against the Machine, which I'm very I'm a proud papa because my son, who's generally not into anything loud, was like loving Rage Against the Machine today. I played. Uh, I hang on. I haven't been putting a lot of the comments on screen because some of my friends have been not nice. But uh, Chris wrong. Bailey, <laughs> Bailey says wrong nostalgia rules. Of course it does, Chris Bailey. Chris Bailey, you're so pretty. 
Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I have been all day playing Rage Against the Machine because I've had Wake Up um, from The Matrix on my mind. And as I played it for my son, he loved it. And then in turn, we ended up watching the first Matrix movie. Can, I, so, can I ask yeah. you a question? Who okay. the fuck did that? Who the fuck did that half-ass, <laughs> semi-flaccid cover at the end of Resurrections? It's it's I I it's in the Wikipedia page. I, I I can you can look it up later. Um, but we addressed that on the review. I made sure to mention it because I've heard that before. I've I've heard that girl cover of uh Wake Up. Anyway, the point is it's I've either awful. been singing, I've either been he hearing Wake Up in my head or. Um, I believe it's I believe it's um, from Susie Sue and the Banshees, Christine, the Strawberry Girl, Christine, because I've had this movie on my mind all day, and now all I can hear is "Bad to the Bone." And do you know where you can hear "Rage Against the Machine," uh, the Susie Sue and the Banshees, Ted Nuge, the Nuge, George Thorogood, who actually does "Bad to the Bone"? You know where you can hear all these songs, Sean? Where, Mark? You can hear them all on Amazon Music Unlimited, don't you understand? And we, gracious as we are, are giving away a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. If you click the link... It is right to give us thanks and praise. <laughs> you want to click the link, uh, get amazonmusic.com slash W2M network. You can enjoy free 30 days of streaming on us. If you like it, you can keep it after that. You pay the monthly fee like you would spotify and apple music if not you can cancel it no contracts no fuss no muss and who doesn't love free music you could do you could do like i did today you can listen to Susie sue you can listen to george thorogood you can listen to rage against the machine and have your son boot scooting in the car going yeah dad and i'm like finally he likes music it took forever for a while there it was only adam anaguchi only adam anaguchi but now now he's getting into the good stuff on us amazon music unlimited all right our third film in our Creature feature, triple feature, is Christine, not the <laughs> strawberry girl, instead the murderous car. Um, this came out in 1983. Um, but I mean, but she is can, but she is candy red. So yeah, is she? How is she? Is she not a strawberry girl in her own right? I suppose you're right, Sean. So this is based on the horror novel by uh, horror writer extraordinaire. Stephen King, which actually published in 1983. And wow, they got this out just in the, in the ta-da nick of time then. Uh, this came out December 9th, 1983. Um, on a budget of $10 million, it made about $21 million and has become a cult classic. This was directed by another horror uh, director extraordinaire, John Carpenter, who we know from the Halloween movies. This stars Keith Gordon, John Stockwell, Alexandra Paul, Robert Prosky, and Harry Dean Stanton. And oh yeah, that guy from the beginning of Ghostbusters who Bill Murray keeps shocking. He's in there too. <laughs> um, in, case, in case you wanted to know. So, um, have you ever seen Christine before? Uh, I think I saw it once many moons ago. Mm -hmm. And not all that long ago, I watched uh, the Kill Count episode dedicated to it. Okay. With my with my fiance Anne. Okay. Um, so and and you know, fucking James A. Janice and Chelsea Rebecca are just fucking masterful manipulators that make me want to sit and watch sit and watch something. <laughs> it's it's that kind of infectious enthusiasm. So when you said that was going to be rounding out this tri rounding out this trifecta, uh, yeah, <laughs> I was. <laughs> I, I was like El Camino, eh, fine. I probably owe it a owe it a look. 
Uh, um, Titani or Titan, uh, Titty Annie. Uh, uh, okay, it, it at least says tit in the title, so <laughs> maybe. Um, turns out I wasn't wrong. Um, uh, but Christine. Oh, oh, okay. So, so that's my promised brownie Sunday at the at the end of the meal. All right. Yeah, these triple features either end with a grand slam or 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 just or crash into the concrete and explode all over the place. This this mm -hmm. never ends with kind of a meh. It's either the best thing we watched or the worst thing. <laughs> that that's how these are structured. Um, when I when Dave and I did Ghost in the Shell. Uh, Aeon Flux and Ex Machina. We ended with Ex Machina and we're like, wow, we ended on the best one and here we are again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, I've never seen it. This is the first time I've ever seen it. You got to remember, I did not grow up watching a lot of horror movies. The ones oh, that I did yeah. watch are always, were always the odd man out, not, not the usual for me. Um, so, and I didn't watch a lot of Stephen King stuff growing up as a kid because again, it was all horror. I mean, I saw some stuff. So Shawshank Redemption. You also uh, didn't. You also didn't miss much. Yeah, um, but I'd always heard about this one, you know. And later on in the year, um, we're a group of us are going to talk among other things, Maximum Overdrive, because in both the case of Christina Maximum Overdrive, I always saw like the poster. I always saw the video cassette on the wall at the uh, at the video store, and I'm like. I don't like horror, but I do like people being hit by cars. <laughs> like, <laughs> but actually, one of my—it's in like my top twenty or top thirty—is the uh, the Quentin Tarantino movie Death Proof, you know. And it just—it's just a big, mm -hmm. long wax yeah. lead up to him driving girls off the road. It's great, <laughs> you know. And I don't know why I, I like that sort of thing. Um, I, there's a great—I think it's used cars. Where like the finale of used cars is just this giant car wreck, um, mm -hmm. and I don't know. I've I've always I've always just found that visually appealing. So like the, I, the idea of a car that comes to life and starts killing people sounds great. And if somebody had pitched it to me, I'd be like, I'm all in. So I it's weird that I'm almost forty six, and now because I'm looking for stuff to talk about on a podcast, and now I finally saw it. I should have watched this years ago. Because it's because even as a horror movie, this is not that graphic or gory, you know, no, or even particularly scary. Really. This is more, yeah. you know, this is this is like Hitchcocky in 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 its tension. It's not a Nightmare on Elm Street, which is like the high water mark for me for gross and things that drove me away from horror in the first place. So uh, let's get into it. Um, the old Strawberry Girl. All right, in September of 1957. Like, I, by the way. And, and I'm going to admit to you, this isn't yet another wire joke, but I'm going to admit something very serious to you. This is not a setup. I was watching this, and there was there was some definite boy. They don't make films like this anymore in terms of language, the way people talk to each other, the objectification of women, and other you know, and and whatnot. And I'm like. And I had this thought, like, Sean, I'm going to get a call from Sean. Like, I can't talk about this movie. It's terrible. What these people say to each other. And I was like, oh, so I'm like, I hope Sean doesn't hate this and hate me now. And I, so, why, so why, I, no, why, why would you think I would do that? I, because I was laughing at the dialogue in this movie because it's so coarse and it's so of its time. 
And mm. I could see somebody, wa- but I could see somebody watching it now in our in a different cultural environment and going, "Oof, this has not aged well." And and I'm not the only one that says oh. that. There are people who looked at, you know, I think the Red Letter Media guys did an entire ranking of every John Carpenter <laughs> film, and they were like, "Yes, yeah, some of this stuff has aged." I'm going to use Robert's line: "Has aged like milk," you know, uh, you know in terms mm-hmm. of dialogue and the way people talk to each other and whatnot. Well, no, so I mean, there was a part of me that no. was there was a part of me that was a little like anxious about it. Well, I think there. I think there's a difference mm-hmm. between portrayal mm-hmm. and endorsement. Mm-hmm. There is a huge difference between okay. those two, in my eyes. Um. Okay, everybody, get your beverage of choice ready because here comes a wrestling reference. Um. It's all got. The the, the 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 classic the classic bigoted or foreign heel mm-hmm. trope. Everybody everybody does it. Vince McMahon comes to it. <laughs> um, he's argue he's arguably the only major promoter still actively trying to do trying to do it. Sure. Because everybody else has just, at the very least, figured out, eh, low hanging fruit. Yep. Let's maybe try to do, try to do. Let's something evolve. Different. Let's ascend past this. Uh, yeah. Let's let's maybe not play this hit, mm-hmm. shall we? Um, the thing that so many people get wrong about get wrong about that is they just look at it being portrayed at all as being writ large just writ large just shit just mm-hmm. poor taste don't do it don't even have it don't even have it on the show the thing is with certain behavior actually you know what I, I i stand corrected i stand corrected i'm gonna back off the the foreign heel trope thing trope thing um Almost foreign foreign heels equal money in 1985. I would beg to differ. Um, had Muhammad Hassan not been on the wrong place at the wrong time on exactly the wrong day, I think he could have gotten a few more years and a shit ton of money out of that. I, I out of 100% that agree with you. Yeah. But anyway, um, God, who's another good example of what I'm talking about here? One of those things where... Rusev. They just did Rusev not that long ago. Rusev's not so old that it's like, oh, it's from a bygone era. He was doing the big bad Russian heel. It it peaked with him coming out on a tank. Yeah, but what I'm thinking, but what I'm thinking more of is Mm -hmm. okay. Maybe the best way I can describe it is kind of the opposite. One of the times when they really got it wrong. Okay. Since you mentioned him, the Roman Reigns Rusev feud. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll back up and give everybody kind of the Reader's Digest you know, previously on Dragon Ball Z setup. Um, Rusev was a heel at the time. Um, his wife, Lana, was also his on-screen, his on-screen manager. Um, they're in the ring, not doing anything particularly heelish. They're just celebrating the fact that they just got, they just got married. They're not demeaning the fans. They're not starting shit with everyone. They're basically just celebrating their nuptials. Along comes Roman Reigns, who is supposed to be the number one babyface in the entire company, and just 
trashes the entire occasion. And it's one of those where you go, but we're supposed to be cheering for you. Right. Okay, well, the exact opposite is it's okay sometimes to have a character who's doing some of the shittiest things imaginable as long as you have that character get their comeuppance right. in the end. And as long as you're not portraying the fallout as, be, as being, ah, uh, well, okay, Hogan is another, is another example. A lot of Hogan's behavior as a face ages terribly because you go back and watch it and you start to realize, huh, He's proven Jesse Ventura and Bobby Heenan right the entire time. So rounding he's being, an, abs- he's being an absolute, right. an absolute shit. So I don't mind some things being portrayed, but when you're talking about watching Revenge of the Nerds, and we're rooting for a bunch of horn dogs who, by the end of the movie, are absolutely one hundred fifty-one fucking percent guilty of actual sexual assault. <laughs> yeah, they are. You have done, you have kind of be you have lost the plot, literally. I, I think you have um, missed the point. Here's where I'm with you, and like I said, I the anxiety is just not knowing how you're going to react to something. Um, and I, I like to, well, I like to think I'm fairly reasonable. I'm not disagreeing with you. He, <laughs> I, I here, and the reason why I brought this up because we were like, what are they talking about? We're talking about this. Mm-hmm. There seems to be this need for people to sort of make wide sweeping rules for something that really needs to be a case by case scenario let and they use the i hate the word i hate any word that gets overused and misused but for the sake of conversation canceling you know we need this needs to be canceled it's not woke this needs to be canceled it's not aged well this you know this objectifies people it makes people have bad feelings whatever um i think there's a conversation to be had for any number of things but making a wide sweeping rule of a movie that speaks the way that christine does um at a time i i said to pat earlier today pat mullen friend of the show i said like i miss movies from the 70s and he corrects me goes 1983 and i'm like awfully close it <laughs> doesn't does not doesn't not make my point for me like i miss movies of the 70s and let's 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 face fact people you know a lot of movies made in the 70s um don't you know use a language that doesn't work for people today it doesn't work for a lot of people but because so much stuff is sanitized so much stuff goes is actively working against that i kind of miss when it when it's there you know and i don't need to see it in every film and i don't need to see it used um in in a negative way necessarily i think you know it needs to be used organically i should say well, um, and so that's like why, it's and almost that's like refreshing this... to see it when it happens. That's like, like watching this, I was like, gosh, I miss movies made in this era. And that's why this didn't entirely bother me, is because mm-hmm. movies like this, they are products of their time. Yes. And I get it. But people always want to it's judge not, it's it not with that, modern it, eyes. That's my point. It's it's, it's, it's it's not it's not that it's not that it's okay then, just not right. okay now. No, the, the difference being is a lot of this shit was wrong then we just know better and we acknowledge it now it's kind of why i'm okay with the disclaimers that disney and warner brothers oh my god i'm with you but boy has that been a fight among just people i know that like nothing you know jason and i got into that discussion last year um when um coming to america came out we did an entire segment on 
uh, I think it was AMC that wanted to put up disclaimer saying, hey, these movies came out like in the early 1900s. Yeah. <laughs> Language was used. Things happened. It was a different time. Mm -hmm. Just know that we're not we're not touching the film. We just want you to know what you're in for. Yeah. And Jason, I, like, I don't, I don't think that's unfair. And Jason was like, well, we shouldn't have that either. I'm like, I, well, I don't see which one. No, wrong Jason. No, okay. I'll I'll flat out say it. Jason is patently wrong. And we had because that because I mean that is the ultimate compromise. Mm -hmm. It is telling people, okay this is what you're getting into. Yep. We're going, we're still going to show it. It is untouched. We are yep. not altering. We are not altering anything. That is it the is hinge as point. It happened. As long but, as the product itself is, is still pure, uh, telling people, you know, telling people, hey, there's a mugger at the end of the alley. <laughs> Go down there if you want to. We're not moving the mugger. We're not turning well, the lights on. It's up to you whether or not you want to walk down there. That is and that's the thing. where I kind of live. That, that is for the sake of, you know, people our age, mm. we came of age either in the midst of or at the tail end of mm. kind of that era. Yeah. So we're familiar with it. We're kind of hardened to it, desensitized to it. Right. What have, what have you. There's an entire era of pe era of people who are going to be seeing these movies at the first for the first time who were born after the 90s yeah who were born in the early 2000s when we were starting to re-examine a I, whole I go lot through of this i go through this with lily you know lily was born in 2011 and she reacts to a lot of films from the 80s or 90s and goes I don't think I've shown her anything from the 70s yet, except for maybe Star Wars. But my point is, like, she'll 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 kind of look at me and go, like, why are they okay? Here's the perfect example of this, and it's a modern, it's a modern one. West Side Story, when mm -hmm. uh when when the female lead breaks into I Feel Pretty and she looks at me mm -hmm. like Penny looked at you know Leonard when she was watching uh Raiders of the Lost Dark, like, what is this crap? And I'm <laughs> and I'm looking at her and I'm like, it was a different time. She's allowed to feel pretty. It's the fifties or whatever whatever era that was. Anyway, um, you know, and 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 that's to your point. It, that's always the conversation. It's like just kind of recognizing that hate the film for its hate hate the film for its craft, you know, or because it, it doesn't interest you. Don't hate it because it doesn't. This is a conversation for I get not with my being dad all the time. Of his time. Yeah, for for not for for being outside the moors of the day, you know, like it, yeah. it was it was acceptable at that time. Anyway, plot: nineteen fifty seven, September of nineteen fifty seven, at the Chrysler Corporation assembly plant in Detroit, uh, before Mad Max times, the hood of a newly assembled red and white nineteen fifty eight Plymouth Fury abrupt abruptly slams down and crushes the hand of a line worker inspecting its front end. Another worker climbs in to sit behind the wheel, letting the ash from his cigar fall on the front seat. At the end of the shift, the line supervisor notices the car's radio is playing music. When he opens the door to shut it off, the worker's corpse falls out onto the floor. 21 years later, in 1978, awkward and unpopular teenager Arnold Arnie Cunningham, who, who had totally had a Clark Kent thing going on in this movie, because I, I when I realized who it was, I was like, oh, they made him up really, really nerdy, like they did Jamie Foxx for Amazing Spider-Man 2. And then it's like he, tucks, he takes off his glasses and washes his hair. Suddenly he's Hunky McGee. Uh, oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. amazing. Um, live in Rockbridge, California, with only one friend, football player Dennis Gilder. 
Arnie's life begins to change when he buys the used dilapidated Fury from George LeBay, whose late brother Roland had originally owned it. George tells Arnie several details about the car, including its name, Christine. Since his parents will not let him keep the car at their house, Arnie starts re uh, restoring her at a do-it-yourself garage and junk uh, junkyard owned by Will Darnell. As Arnie spends more time with the car, he discards his glasses, dresses more like a 1950s greaser, and develops an arrogant, paranoid personality. Unbeknownst to Arnie, his mother, Regina, tells Dennis that Roland actually committed suicide in the car. Confronted by Dennis, George admits that Roland's daughter had choked to death in the car and that his wife also committed suicide in it. George forced Roland to get rid of Christine after Roland's wife's death, but the car returned to him after three weeks. During a football game, Dennis becomes distracted upon Arnie's kissing his new girlfriend, Lee uh, Cabot, in front of a now-perfect Christine and is tackled, suffering a career-ending injury. One of Christine's windshield wipers stops working while the pair are on a date at the drive-in movie theater. When Arnie gets out to fix it, Lee begins to choke on a hamburger as an oldies rock and roll song starts to play on the radios. I was loving Growing up with my mom as I did and the kind of doo-wop she listened to, I was loving the music in this movie. The doors lock themselves, leaving Arnie unable to help her, but she frees herself and is saved when a man in a nearby car administers the Heimlich maneuver. Soon afterward, school bully Buddy Repperton, uh, angry with Arnie over being expelled after a confrontation in shop class, it wasn't a confrontation, he tried to stab him, vandalizes Christine along with his gang, Peter Moochie Welch, Don Vander Vandenberg, and Richie Tr uh, Trelawney. Devastated and determined to repair Christine, Arnie witnesses her qu or quickly restore herself, surprising him. Christine then seeks out va the Vandals, crushing Moochie in an alley, triggering a gas station explosion that kills Don and Richie, and then sets her on fire, and finally running down and killing Buddy himself. After the badly burned Christine returns to Darnell's garage, Darnell opens the driver's door to find it empty. Darnell sits in the driver's seat and is crushed to death against the steering wheel when Christine pushes the seat forward. As another oldie song plays on the radio, the next morning, Christine is back in her slot and fully repaired. With Darnell's body still in the driver's seat, state police detective Rudolph Junkins becomes suspicious of Arnie, having discovered paint from Christine at the scene of two gang members' deaths. However, he has no direct evidence to implicate Arnie, who has an alibi and denies all involvement. Junkins either is unaware or doubtful that Christine can drive herself. Following the choking incident and Christine's initial vandalization, Lee breaks up with Arnie. Dennis and Lee, who have both become aware of Christine's supernatural and sinister nature, conclude the only way to save Arnie from the car's influence is to destroy it. They must take it to Mordor, don't you understand? And throw, <laughs> and throw it in the fires of Mount Doom. Anyway, they set a trap for Christine and Darnell at Darnell's garage. Dennis waits at the controls of a bulldozer while Lee stands ready to close the garage door and cut off Christine's retreat once it enters. However, having hidden under a pile of debris, in the garage the entire time christine ninja like strikes when lee assumes her position at the door controls attempting to tackle lee christine crashes through darnell's office arnie who has been driving the car himself and was possessed is thrown through the windshield and fatally impaired on a shot of glass christine plays another oldie song as arnie lays dying dennis and lee attack christine with the bulldozer but she continually repairs continually repairs herself and retaliates the battle continues until they repeatedly drive back and forth over Christine, damaging her so much that she is unable to immediately re regenerate. The next day, Dennis Lee and Junkins watch as Christine's remains are compacted by a car crusher in a junkyard and dropped on the ground as a solid block. They then call um, Mr. Burns, and Mr. Burns asks, is this about, is this about my cube? Uh, Junkins <laughs> praises the teens for de uh, defeating the demonic vehicle, despite them mourning Arnie's death and their inability to save him from Christine's corruption. But... 
As the camera zooms in slowly on the car's remains, a portion of the front grill twitches. And slightly before going still, and George Thurgood and the Destroyer's lay bad to the bone in the background as the screen cuts to black. The credits roll and the Undertaker's hand comes up from the ground. Don't you understand? (laughs) (laughs) All righty, Sean. We had a lot of preamble here. Let's talk about the actual movie. What did you think? I enjoyed it. I I enjoyed the hell out of it. Because another one of those things that horror sometimes can do really well is Mm -hmm. take something that's relatable just about all the way across all the way across the board no matter your background on some on some level or another you get it and not necessarily pervert it mm-hmm. but darken it yeah kind of kind of clothe it in shadow and take it and take it to some sinister extremes and then also at the end you also kind of have that little bit of think twice before turning the lights out moment mm-hmm. where they reveal that the evil isn't true isn't truly vanquished um, some movies do that better than others um, this movie gives me both the, mm-hmm. this is this is this is my chocolate and peanut butter sandwich right <laughs> here uh, because I mean everybody who's ever who's ever been a teenager knows both the yearning for that for that freedom of having a of having a car and the exhilaration when you finally get it yep and how experiencing that yeah it can it can sometimes it can sometimes be transformative for some people it's you know, sometimes it's it's a whole other level of popularity, but even then, that's that's yet another thing. And that is the notion that sometimes you hand you hand notoriety and popularity and an oyster of a world to somebody who's maybe not necessarily equipped to deal with it and and able to keep everything in perspective. And that's that's sort of, that's sort of what we have is you know we have we have kind of a, a weird protagonist who at first we we sympathize with and then we kind of feel for him a little bit as clearly he's obviously being seduced astray by our straw by our strawberry girl um, we have a kind of surprising surprisingly likable kind of jock character yeah who, 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 who really really breaks really breaks the mold by kind of being being kind of our conscience i was gonna say a, ni- a nice likable guy what talk about yeah. going against type uh-huh um uh we have we, we have some really some really stock bullies that are that that that, that kind of that kind of makes it easy for us to be okay when they okay yeah. with it when they get there. Not a problem killing those guys. By the way, yeah, yeah. I I don't know about you, but I totally thought Buddy was John Travolta. I kept so, saying, like, I was like, is this like a walking in in um God? What was the movie that Bruce Willis remade? Um, the Charles Bronson movie. Uh, the Mechanics. No, Dead Something or other. Um. Uh, oh. Um. Oh, oh God, Death Wish. Death yeah. Wish. I, I was having yes. a Christopher Walken Jason moment. Jason Statham remade the mechanic. Yeah. 
I was I was having like a Christopher Walken moment. Like, oh my god, is that Christopher mm-hmm. Walken in this? Like a young, like like just like fresh, fresh as a daisy, Christopher Walken. I mm-hmm. for the I had to look very closely, and I'm like, he doesn't quite have the jowls of of John Travolta or yeah. a bit yeah. more of the voice, but he was like he could have been his stunt double. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the guy's, yeah. The guy's I, I, I name is William Ostrander. I, I kind of wondered, you mad lad, did you manage to be in both Carrie and Christine? <laughs> was what was what was Danny Zuko Stephen King's muse all along? <laughs> the hell! Just uh, how his, far his, through the, how far through the looking glass have I tumbled? This agent just <laughs> handing him scripts. He's like, why is it always girls' names on these yeah. things? Can I? <laughs> Can't I but, get a Death Wish movie? <laughs> but anyway, um, but no, and it's got it's got a nice a nice campfire story, sort yeah. of sort of vibe to it. It's a fairly satisfying ending, which is highly unusual for anything mm-hmm. Stephen King has ever done. Yeah, any ben, ben was saying that he he a lot of times fails to stick the landing. Oh God! It's it, it's one of his hallmarks. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in fact, in fact, he even kind of, he even kind of cracks wise on it a little bit in the uh, in the It remake. Can I say? I think it's pretty close to perfect a, a perfect film as I've ever seen. Christine, I, I like, yeah, I would, I, I would agree with that. I have mm-hmm. almost nothing to really criticize the movie about. Oh. I mean. Again, judging it for when it was made, late seventies, early eighties, mm-hmm. you know, with the with the equipment they had, the kind of effects that you know you can do in a movie like that for the budget that they had, mm-hmm. I think the characters are written perfectly. I think, oh yeah, it's a great use of again Hitchcocky intention, where you know you, you're 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 set. They set the tone right from the beginning when the when the hood closes on the guy's arm. And then from there, it's just kind of a slow build, slow Jeez. build. Everyone has proper motivation. You're with, you know, you're, you don't, Arnie's not a bad guy. And he's obviously no, corrupted no. by the ring of doom. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and you want him to, and you want him to rid himself of this burden, mm-hmm. but you know, but he, but it's, so it's, it's serving all of his needs and he's going mad. Don't you understand that it's all perfect? The only, I think the only characters, and again, this just, this also might be a function of when the movie was made. The parents are a little ridiculous. That's probably like my only minor quibble. I thought mom and dad, especially the mother, you know, it, it turned into the Adam Sandler thing for me. Like they're all going to laugh at you. It's like mom, let's go out and get some ice cream. No, they're all going to laugh at you. <laughs> I, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because I don't think they were necessarily ridiculous maybe a little unrealistically strict but then again you also need that to bring out that motivation of arnie's Mm -hmm. that 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 chink in the armor that allows christine to kind of get under his skin whisper in his whisper in his ear Mm -hmm. and worker and worker magic you need something to establish that but no, they never went full Carrie's mom, yeah. psychotic, with that. The only one that I thought was maybe a real a little bit over the top initially was Mister Darnell. Um, <laughs> I thought I, I thought he was excessively douchey, but then, you know, a few scenes later, we get a moment where we establish that he's kind of starting to come around. 
Arnie has has kind of earned his has kind of earned his respect. Yeah. And he's being and he's being reasonable and saying, hey, you know, you 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 work hard, you don't slack off. Tell you what, you put that same work ethic in around here. I'll I'll let you have some I'll let you have some parts. I'll even float you if you float I had you two thoughts with Mr. Darnell. I could accept his behavior because my head cannon, he fought with the band of brothers. And you know, and and, you know, and after all the damage and trauma from World War II, he's just a just a surly old man now. He's seen some stuff. He's earned the right that. to be surly. I grant you that. But um, yeah, but real quick, the second thing with him, I just just let me say this and then you can continue. When yeah, he was yeah, like, maybe we could work out a deal. I don't know why my head immediately went to, oh no, what does he mean by that? And it was completely <laughs> innocent. I'm the one with the corrupted thoughts. He was like, I, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, sweep up. And I'm like, where is this movie going when he said, like, as soon as he said, apparently mm-hmm. the code in the back of my head for something really nefarious is like, maybe we can work out a deal. You know, and I yeah. guess I've heard that yeah. used that way other way. way I, like, that. I, I don't know where this creepy Stephen King guy is going with this, and then it's like completely innocent. Yeah. I'm like, I feel yeah. silly now. The, the, anyway, the, the only on. other, the only other thing that the only other thing that got a little bit ridiculous mm-hmm. was <laughs> was Arnie continuously just leaning on the insult shitter. <laughs> um, Ray. I'm pretty sure Randy Quaid shooting retakes of that scene from Lampoon's Christmas Vacation didn't say shitter that often over the course of 90 minutes. But um, but otherwise, I mean, it's, it's shot really well for its time, and especially for probably not having a massive budget. The performances were all were all on point, and in some instances better than one would necessarily expect the plot's tight it's well paced it's not overly gory enough that it's going to put somebody off watch off watching it the music throughout is terrific top to bottom just not a bad selection in the bunch last question for you okay because i have a thought but i'm gonna ask you Mm. for yours and then we'll close out with mine and then we'll be done yeah sure there's no reason given for why Christine is what she is. She's nope. just the, the credits stop rolling and she's alive and she's eating people. Period. Comma mm-hmm. the end. There's no lore. There's the only story is what happened to the previous owner. You yep. are just accepting that something supernatural has happened to this car. You don't need to know what it is. Just know you mm-hmm. you were you were just told its motivation. Clearly mm-hmm. that seems to have worked for you or you would have complained about it by now, but why? Mm-hmm. It works for me because one of the easiest ways to keep something scary is to shroud any understanding of it. It is, it's simple, but it works. It Mm. works because it shows an understanding of how the human mind works. The old cliche is, man fears that which he does not understand. Well, you know why it's a cliche? it's fucking true and it's true on a number of effective levels and that and that includes fiction i don't i it's one of the things that makes stephen king's short stories 
mm-hmm. so damn good. And in some instances, I could I could even argue better than his novels is because he doesn't waste a whole lot of time on the wither twos and why and why fours of everything. Not everything has to have this, you know, it's explicitly drawn up ahead of time in Randy Savage or Diamond Dallas Page-esque detail before the before the actual execution. It's just there, it's presented, and the action is flowing along so so swiftly and so perfectly, you don't really have time to ask unnecessary questions because you're just that wrapped up in it. We don't care why Christine is is doing this because how is it going to help anything anyway? All we care about right now is we don't want to see Arnie go down this go down this road because we right. like Arnie. Right. We don't, we don't want to see Arnie hurt other people. We want to see Arnie just be a, just be a good kid. You know, figure out that whole chess club and band thing <laughs> and band thing. Just 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 work that out. Come to a piece on that where maybe you can do both. So, you know, it, it, and it's, it's been the same thing in a lot of, in a lot of other of King's best movies is, okay, it's not necessarily even a King movie, but it's one of the reasons I kind of like Dr. Sleep. It doesn't really go into, go into a whole lot of detail trying to explain what the shining is, what the shining is what that power is it's just continuing to establish the importance of the importance of it um you know carrie did it quite well and i don't know that we necessarily even needed a lot of the backstory that we got in it that explained that explained what that explained what pennywise was yeah yeah i'm 100 um, percent with you sean i i feel like you really need a deft hand if you want to pre- present lore and explanation for why things are the way that they are. But more often than not, you get midichlorians and the Phantom Menace um, than you do, um, you know, something that really works. I, I'm well, with you. Okay, uh, again, I'll, again, I'll give you an I'll give you an Anne Rice example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying to explain vampire origins <laughs> early in the early in the series. Okay, we got the explanation in Queen of the Damned, and okay, it, it, it more or less worked. That's that's fine. And then way down the line, toward the end of the series, we got the explanation of aliens and Atlantis. <laughs> right. No. Yeah, it's the old no. like the the stew was fine. Quit throwing things in it. All right, yes. so yeah, I highly recommend people watch Christine if you haven't already. If you're if you're of the younger persuasion and you're you tuned into this on Twitter or YouTube or Twitch or wherever you found it, um, or God help me, anyone listening on traditional audio these days, um, and you're like, hey, uh, me too. I've never seen Christine. I didn't even know what this was. Yeah, go check it out. It is. I don't hear it talked about in like the hollowed halls of classic horror, but it really should be. It's an extremely well made film, like mm-hmm. surprisingly well made. I was. I was shocked. I tell you, shocked. I I liked it, and it's as good as as it is. I I was floored. I was not expecting it to be that great. So, 
All right. Um, with that said, we're done for the evening. The next time um, I have scheduled and things, hey, they delayed Morbius again. Things change. But the next time I have, <laughs> uh, the next time I have a scheduled show with Sean, we're gonna do something really fun here. There's a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie coming out on Netflix. So we're gonna do a long road to ruin, but we're not. But we're doing selections from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series because there's reboots and sequels and spiritual sequels and distant cousins connected by the adopted father and cousin's roommate and ugh. anyway so after doing some extensive research and calling in an expert we are doing the following mm -hmm. texas chainsaw massacres the new one from netflix 2022 the 1974 classic and the 2003 texas chainsaw massacre so that's the next long road to ruin we're doing the texas chainsaw massacre 74 2003 and 2022 and that is march 7th uh, April 17th, in theory, we are looking at two movies based on French comics and um, and I think another one based on like sci-fi books. We are looking at Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, John Carter, otherwise known as John Carter of Mars, and Barbarella. Woo! I can't tell you, Sean, how happy I was that you were like, let's go on this because I have been wanting I to talk about... Barbarella. I have been wanting to talk about Barbarella for the longest time. When I found it, it was French. It was based on a French comic, and I'm like, "Hot dog!" Something tangentially related to things I talk about here. So I was like, "I got to find an excuse to do this." Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. In the meantime, uh, yesterday, myself and Jason Teasley, uh, we reviewed U season three. Uh, Jesse, Evan Bevins, and I reviewed Billionaire Island from uh, from Russell Mark Russell. Uh, there was a roundtable for Spider-Man No Way Home, led by Jesse, featuring Ben Cologne, Evan Bevins, and David Wright. Tomorrow, um, myself and, Dam and uh, Robert Winfrey will be going back to Damn You Hollywood, and uh, we'll be looking at two streaming movies, so there'll be no money segment. Uh, we Don't Look Up from Netflix, and Being the Ricardos from Aaron Sorkin, and boy, was that an Aaron sorkin movie. Um, we'll also oh, be don't tell me that <laughs> me and the podsman. Will be I reviewed. was, you know what? I was actually looking forward to watching that right up until you mentioned something that, that had, that I had missed. And that was, it was made by Aaron fucking Sorkin. It's worth the watch for JK Simmons alone. They're really, the whole cast is stellar. And I'll, and I'll tell you what Robert's take on the movie was just really, really quickly. And I'm going back to plugs. The cat, <laughs> this movie doesn't deserve this cast. It's that good. <laughs> that is, like, that like is the such a is Robert really take, and I love it. Um, anyway, <laughs> the Podsman and I will be reviewing WWE Day 1. Uh, on the Metal Hammer of Doom, we're looking at a, a, an album from a year ago, Bandmade, Unseen World. Um, Thursday night, uh, we'll be doing a late recording, another triple feature. This time it's Prisoners of Ghostland, Shadows in the Cloud, and Out of Death, and that's Ronnie Adams and Evan Bevins. And then it's like David Wright month here in January. He'll be back with me. We'll be covering the finale season of Lost in Space from Netflix. And then finally on Saturday, we'll have a re-airing of our Damn You Hollywood for Hotel Transylvania 2. And that is uh, because Hotel Transylvania 4 will be out on Amazon Prime uh, a week from Friday the 14th. And um, I got my son Monster on a Hill for Christmas. I got him a book. And Monster on a Hill is what Rumble was adapted from which is currently exclusively airing on paramount plus so my son the fastest growing podcast star on this network and i are going to be doing a comic strip for monster on a hill and paramount plus's rumble starring a whole bunch of wwe stars 
So that'll be fun. I mean, me and my son talking the book in the movie this Saturday. Uh, a family, family, wonderful time will be had. All right, Sean. Um, before I, I pitch it over to you, uh, please like and subscribe on YouTube. Uh, like and subscribe wherever you find us on Apple Music and whatnot. And I'm being told, gun to my head, we now have a Discord. I don't know what a Discord is. I'm old. But we have a Discord. Nice. And, the and the link will be in the description of both the audio and vis visual uh, form of this podcast. So if you're interested in our Discord, uh, please go ahead and click the link and you'll you'll find the invitation. All right, Sean, get, get the last word. What are you doing? Where are you doing it at? <laughs> well, um, now that I am fully moved and settled and the new year has begun, I am looking at possibly getting back to streaming soon. I just frankly got to pick a date it's literally all i gotta do um in advance you can go follow me over there at twitch.tv slash comer codex in the meantime the best daily way to engage with me is to follow me that link right there on twitter and instagram at comer codex uh, i post a lot about hockey wrestling music cooking my love of ddp yoga uh Things get to things do get socio-political at the time at times. Please be ready for that. Because I ain't apologizing for shit anymore. <laughs> I spent damn near 30 years being an apologetic fence sitter. I I'm done with it. You get what you get from you get what you get from me. No excuses, no apologies. Um no, seriously though. Otherwise, it's it's a good time. It's a good time. I'm as opinionated on there as I am on here. So take that as you will. All right. For Sean, you're not. I, however, am Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>